listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 25 of The Music Room. I'm really excited to talk to you today about children's choir with my good friend, Matthew Parker. I have known Matt for many years. He teaches in my district, and he has become such a great friend. Um, I really am a firm believer that everybody needs someone in their life that they can talk to, that they can ask the quote-unquote stupid questions that aren't really stupid, but you know, the ones that you feel like a little bit embarrassed to ask because you're just not sure. The first time I was in choir was actually in college. Um, I was an instrumentalist all throughout school and then took one semester of choir in college And then I started my Kodai levels, and, you know, obviously choir is really important in uh, the Kodai philosophy and Kodai-inspired teaching. So I definitely felt compelled to start a choir, but I really didn't know where to begin, and I kind of felt stupid about it, like I didn't know what I was doing. And I went to a lot of workshops, and I read some books, and that definitely helped. But Matt became the person that I could ask the stupid questions to that I could go to and say, well, how should this, you know, how should they be singing this? What, or, you know, what should I be talking about with diction in this part of the song? You know, that kind of thing. Or just being able to talk to him about his absolute favorite octavos or, you know, what he's doing with his choir, anything like that. Matt has been such a great resource and such a great friend. So a little bit about Matt. Here is his official bio. Matthew Parker received his Master of Music in Music Education with an emphasis on Kodai from Capital University. He currently teaches at John and Kate Corners Elementary School in the Olentangy Local School District in Central Ohio. Matthew was voted as Teacher of the Year during the 2008-2009 school year. Matthew was also selected as the Columbus Symphony Elementary Music Educator of the Year in 2015. During the 2012-2013 academic year, Matthew worked with and hosted the Emmy-nominated Carpe Diem String Quartet to bring an online interactive concert series to students in several states across the nation. Matthew was a director on staff with the Columbus Children's Choir and has two elementary choirs at his school. As a composer, one of his songs was prepared by the Columbus Children's Choir. As a performer, Matthew has performed with the Capital University Chapel Choir, Columbus Symphony Chorus, and the Lancaster Chorale. So here is my interview with Matt Parker. I am super excited to be talking to my friend Matt Parker. So hi, Matt. Hi, Eileen. How are you? I'm great. It's been a good winter season here and looking forward to getting back to the school year next year. Yeah, me too. All right, so we are going to talk about children's choir today, but first, I would love for you to tell us about yourself and about your experience with choir. Well, I've been a singer my whole life. I remember taking trips with my family. We would sing rounds in the car. Um, You know, I've been singing since I can remember, so it's always been a part of my life. And as I approached middle school, um, my older brother joined choir, so I joined choir. And turned out I just I just loved it and I couldn't imagine myself doing anything different and I was in band and in choir and of course it went on into college um, I I continued to sing when I was getting my bachelor's at Capital University and we, I would got to sing with the chapel choir and the director was just had the highest level of excellence in music and I felt so fulfilled singing and I continued to do that you know, my 
goal was to be a college choral conductor, but as I did my student teaching and I saw excellent elementary teachers, my passion for the beginning singer grew. And so I chose to focus my life on beginning singers and how to bring them to literacy, how to teach them proper singing. Um, <clears throat> but I also like to perform and compose as well. So I am a performer, I'm a teacher, I'm a composer. I have sung with the Columbus Symphony Chorus, the Lancaster Chorale. Um, one of my songs that have been performed and premiered by the Columbus Children's Choir. Yeah, I didn't even realize that until I read your bio. That's so neat. It, it was an honor. Um, Dr. Matthias had asked me to put something together, and it was, it's called Evening Prayer. Uh-huh. And it's a, the prayer that a lot of people say, now they meet down to sleep. Um, but my grandmother changed the ending a little bit, and it was a, a positive, so I made it a cappella with guitar, and it was, it was really cool to hear them sing that. Yeah. Um, I was a director on staff at the Columbus Children's Choir, mm -hmm. which is a Kodai-focused, audition-based, um, high-level performing children's choir. And I have two choirs at my school. So I guess I love singing, and I love passing that on to a younger generation. And that's been my, my focus as an adult. That's great. All right, so what excites you most about teaching children's choir? Oh, that's easy. The children have this radiant energy on choir days. Uh -huh. The halls are buzzing with laughter, singing, fellowship. Choir is before school, and they volunteer to come, and they show up early. They don't have to come till 8, but I have people knocking at the door at 7.45. Right. I, I mean, I, hearing their pure angelic voices, being able to stand in front of them every single week, and see the pride they have in their eyes for the art that they're putting out there in the halls and in the community. Um, I love seeing their eyes light up when they make music or discover something new. But what I really also love is hearing them talk about their music as they leave the rehearsal, what their favorite songs are. Some are talking about the funny parts of choir. Some are talking about the music that they love. Right. Some are analyzing what we could do differently to improve the song. It's just this, it's like a, beehive of, of choir members in the morning yeah I have often said that at um while I'm directing a choir concert and I'm talking to the audience I'll say you know I understand how hard it is for you to get your students here early because I also do it before school choir like you do Absolutely. um I know that's difficult especially because I'm a mom myself and I know that's hard um and sometimes it's hard for me to you know drag myself out of bed and get to school early to make sure I'm, I'm ready for the kids but then as soon as I hear their voices I'm just so energized and it's such an amazing way to start the day you know I can totally relate with that um you know it's February there's snow on the ground it's cold right. we wanted to stay in bed with our coffee um and you, and some years I think oh Man, I, you know, the, the time that I could have planning. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, you know, I volunteer to teach it right. during my planning time. It's like, give that right. up. Yep. But Same. once I'm yeah. there, I'm in it to win it. I, yeah. I mean, I, I see the kids' energy, and it just, and it actually, I find myself more awake on those days. Yes, I agree. All right, so tell us more about your choirs. I know you have two choirs. How often you meet with them, how you've structured them, what kinds of performances you do, that kind of thing. <laughs> I do have two choirs at my school. It started out with one choir, actually. It was grades 3, 4, and 5. So my school is K through 5. One choir are third graders, and the second choir 
is fourth and fifth graders. It started out as one choir, but after a couple years, it was growing so much, we had to split that. And it worked out really well because now I can have an, an entry-level choir with the students who have less experience with choral singing, and then they can have a secondary choir where obviously they have one or two years and we can get deeper into some concepts. We meet once a week for about 30 minutes before school. The structure is <clears throat> we do... When I structure a choir, I, I thought big picture, and I thought I'm a visionary. So I thought by the end of fifth grade, I want them to love singing, be able to produce a healthy vocal tone. I want them to be able to find their own spot in their music, be able to track, be able to read music. I want them to be prepared to go into middle school knowing how to read music, knowing how to what the rhythms and the notes are, and to know the musical concepts to be successful. When I started the choral program, I thought that I should have three aspects that would make a successful choir. Uh, formal performances at the school, mm -hmm. community performances, and then also social gatherings for fellowship and friendship building. I just, I figured, I thought about what do high school groups do and how can I do like a miniature structure at the elementary level. Right. And yeah, so I thought, well, they're there because they they want to be with their friends, but they also must like to sing. So I wanted them to be able to dress up and come to school and have that formal performance. The community ones, you know, we've sung at COSI Columbus, which is a science museum here in Central mm -hmm. Ohio. We sung at the OCDA performance at Otterbein. Sometimes I take them caroling. So those are some fun things we do. And then the as far as the friendship building, there's lots of things we do socially that build that friendship. We just celebrate our artistic music. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something a little different that I, I haven't heard of other elementary choir directors doing is that social piece, the community building piece, which I think is really cool. So am I remembering correctly, you've had like a movie night? Yes. Um, we do a movie night. We do a pancake breakfast. That's so fun. We are constantly trying to think of new things to get them to just celebrate. And, and you know, to be honest, I'm just a social person. I love to, I love to have fun. I love to see them have fun. And, uh -huh. you know, part of what made choir so special to me growing up was the friendships that I built. Right. And the happiness and the joy and the laughter and so that's really why I think the social gatherings or events are vital to the kids wanting to be there. Um, and we're always trying to, again, we're always trying to, to brainstorm new things. Sometimes the community performances are social, too. Like when we go to Coastal Columbus, the Science Museum, it's, it's awesome. It's interactive. Mm -hmm. The kids get to experiment. So they sing. But after they sing they explore that huge museum right. and it's cool because they're wearing all their t-shirts and they can look down a hundred feet down there and they see the blue shirt and they know that's somebody from our school. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering how much of these, well, I think your numbers are pretty outstanding. <laughs> um, oh, I think you probably have the biggest choirs in our district and we, we all have, I think comparable size schools, but how many do you have like in your two choirs? 
Uh, total is about 210 to 215 kids. Yeah, that's a lot. Like I have 100-ish in my third, fourth, and fifth grade choir combined. So you have two choirs with a total of over 200, which is yes. amazing. So, I mean, I would imagine that some of those numbers are because you're doing these fun social activities and community events. But is there anything else besides your really fun personality? I know that shines with the kids. But is there anything else that um, you think kind of lends itself to having bigger numbers like that? You know, um, that's a great question. I, First of all, regarding the social events, you know, I do have, like, Sally, I'll just say a name. She'll come up to me and say, well, Bill is joining choir for the pancakes and i love to respond by saying great yeah uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and their eyes light up they're like uh that's not the right i answer know for. and i'm yeah. like but mr parker they're not joining for the love of music right like, well but they're going for the love of syrup that's fine with me and you know at that point but they, they come in they sing and they see the celebration right. during the pancake breakfast we sing the rounds after they're done well, right. some might sing with a pancake in their mouth, but right, yeah, uh huh. <laughs> but then, but then, you know, sometimes we do go somewhere because a friend asks us, and we're apprehensive. I know, as an adult, right, I have friends say, "Oh, come do this." I'm like, eh, I don't know, right? Uh-huh. I don't have a great time, right? You know, and you know, I guess I joined choir because my brother did, and then look what I'm doing now, right? Um, but you know, I I do really want the choral. I want. <laughs> What brings them back, I think, is also the. I try to have high level quality performances. Um, I mean, obviously, we all work with what we have, and mm-hmm. you you have a place where you start. But I believe everybody can improve. And while we are there and laughing, having fun, and I'm a goofy guy, I'm not going to lie. But I also have been amazed. If you look at Coral directors around the world what children can do and right. i think sometimes a community at least where where we live sometimes when people picture an elementary choir they picture music that sounds like a little bit out of tune and not really unified mm-hmm. but you know elementary choirs uh children's choirs can be glorious unified beautiful and so i i think what i've always said was you know re- People talk about recruiting. It's one thing to get the kids in the door, right. but it's a different thing to keep them there. Yeah. And I think the, some of the social activities might get them in there, but then the, the music has to be, they have to be proud of the music when they leave. Yeah. And that's what's important are the song choices, the song choices and, the, and teaching them how to read music and how to sing properly. So when they leave, not only are they having fun, but they feel that they've improved with their learning mm-hmm. and they're performing at a high level and they're proud of what they're doing and they brag about choir. Right. And I also think that you are so passionate about teaching choir. That has to kind of like, you know, through osmosis, you know, your your students are probably like really absorbing that passion. That's that's very kind. You know, I, I used to a while ago pick... But, you know, I always was afraid of the slow, the quote, slow songs, you know. Right, yeah. Um, but, you know, we did this song last year, The Journey, and it, it's a slower song, but it's up in that tessitura range, and they floated those notes. Mm-hmm. And they had moments on the slow stuff where, 
we worked really hard on the tone and opening that mouth and that focus. And when they got it, that turned into their favorite song. Right. Um, and you're right. I'm, I mean, I'm very passionate and I wear that on my sleeve and they, they, they love it. <laughs> That's great. Is the journey, the one with the going home melody like yes. from Dvorak? I can find yes. a link to that and I'll put it in the show notes. So for those of you listening, if you're looking for the show notes, you can go to my blog at Mrs. Miracles, music and then click on podcast and then click on podcast 25 and any links that matter I mention in this podcast episode will put there. Yeah, that's a, I have heard that one before that octavo. It's really beautiful. It's beautiful. I, it's, I think it's massively written. It's got a great accompaniment and, you know, so my, my piano player, she's, she's amazing. Uh, Casey cook, uh, just one of the best pianists I've ever seen. And so, you know, I always try to pick stuff that, um, honors her level of performing and you know she certainly lifts up the level of the choir as well yeah well that's a great segue into my next question okay. how do you how do you go about choosing music for your choir uh, well <clears throat> that's certainly something i've i've improved upon i, mean, I can honestly say <laughs> as, like when i was getting my bat bachelor uh, in music, I was not good at it at all, but I've actually developed kind of a formula, if you will, to pick music. Uh-huh. The music has to have well-written text, excellent piano accompaniment, extractable phrases for children to be able to read, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, I have to like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, if I'm not passionate about it, I can't sell it. Right. Um, I, I do love folk music from different cultures. I love it a lot. I'm very careful about the arrangement. Uh, so I look at the melody and how do they keep it true to the folk song? Did they change it? If they changed it, did it, was it a change that made sense? Does the piano accompaniment honor that style? So there's a lot that I look to, but I, I want every aspect of that octava to be purposefully written. There's a lot of stuff out there for children's choirs. And, you know, I think elementary choir or children's choir directors need to be very purposeful in the material that they choose because these students they are capable of high level performing so i try to pick things that honor and lift them up so when people come in the concert they say i didn't expect to get that sound or i didn't expect to that children could sound like that yes yeah that's my favorite compliment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when they're coming in expecting one thing and getting something else completely different. I really love that formula. I, um, you know, I've heard of a couple of those things, like looking at the piano accompaniment. Obviously, you have to enjoy it. But just to have like a systematic way of approaching an octavo and check, 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 check. Yes, I want to use it. That's great. Well, thank you. I, I, I just, I want, when I, sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll find a song that has great text, but then the piano accompaniment, is either in an odd key that your accompanist won't care for um or it's it's written by somebody who's not a piano player so you know so i I try to make sure that the text and the accompaniment are on the same level and then i actually do take a packet so i'll pick let's say i need six songs for the year since we only meet once a week for 30 minutes i can't do 20 30 songs in a year right right um i will actually take i'll pick about 20 that I think will work. And then I will meet with my accompanist on one summer day uh-huh. and we'll sit down for a couple hours and we'll play through everyone and I'll get her opinion. Oh, I and love that. Yes. And it's really helps because I'm sure all of us who are listening to this podcast have had in the past, you know, songs that 
we aren't sure. We, it's, I could do this, I could do that. And right, yeah. you know, it's hard to really nail it down. Yeah. If you need that other opinion, well, why not ask the person who's going to sit and play it? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's a great idea. All right, so along those lines, what are, if you had to pick, I know it's so hard to choose, but if you had to pick your top three favorite octavos, what would they be? Oh, that's so hard. I know. There's so many. You know, right off the bat, I could tell you my absolute favorite is Dance While the Music Sings to You by Greg Gilpin. And oh. I hope I'm saying his last name right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is a unison song, which later maybe we could talk about. Oh, I didn't talk about that, uh, about unison two-part. Yeah. Um, but this is a this is, is a unison song. The words, um, dance, oh, dance, dance while you are young, dance while the music sings to you, let your spirit jump very high, leap with your heart, leap. It's great poetry. Yeah. The piano accompaniment is is masterful, and it's it's the first part of it is in duple. And it's very mysterious. And the second part goes to triple and like a ba ba da ba ba and it dances. Oh, and the, oh it's it's just great. The the beginning uh, the students have one note. They just sing dance for really long. Uh-huh. And what's neat is this is what was awesome. The the students on that really high note just sing that note for like eight or 10 beats. I don't have the music in front of me, but it's a long right. time. Uh-huh. And the music is dancing. Uh-huh. So the chord structure, while they're floating at D, the music is going C, E, D, and you get a little dissonance. Uh-huh. And it's dancing around their note. Oh, neat. And it finally settles on the note. It gives you chills. Very cool. I'll have to check that one out. It's great. Um, let's see. You said three. Mm-hmm. There is one that somebody gave me, A Seagull Seagull by Susan Brumfield. Oh, yeah. Um, have you heard of it? I have heard of it. I, you know what? I may have actually, I may have shared that with you after a choral reading session, but I've never actually, like, I think she did a choral reading session at OAKE, but I haven't actually yes. done that one. So I'll have to check it out. It's, it, it's accessible to a first-year choir um, or even a second-year choir. It's, it is, a, it's... It's a partner song, and it has a little bit of drums in it, a little rattle, um, and it's beautiful. It's it's lyrical. Um, and then I should probably throw a fast one in there. I'm not going to lie. I love the slower lyrical uh-huh, songs, right. so I have to work hard at the fast ones. Uh-huh. But the, the French folk song, Jean Telemula, uh-huh. um, the arrangement I like is the Ruth Dwyer arrangement. I love it's, Ruth Dwyer. She's uh, amazing. She's great, isn't she? Yeah. It's, it offers your students uh, a different language and it's fast, it's percussive and it, it just, it just goes and it's always, uh, it's, it's, it's accessible because it's around, uh-huh. it's well-written accompaniment, it's fast, it can introduce a different language. I'd, I'd say those are my top three favorites those, right yeah, now. Yeah, those are great. And I mean, while we're talking about Ruth Dwyer, I'm thinking it might be helpful for people to hear like what are composers or arrangers that when you see their song, you know, like this is going to be good. Like Ruth Dwyer for sure. She's got so many great arrangements. Oh, absolutely. Susan Ruth Brumfield. Dwyer. Oh, sorry. That's okay. No, I was just going to say Susan Brumfield, who you mentioned for Seagull Seagull. She's got a lot of great ones too. Doreen Rao. Yes. Yes. Any others? She's good. 
Um, I, I love Andy Beck. Yes, yep. His stuff is great. And I met him. I uh, Here locally at the Stanton Sheet Music, he came in to do a reading session. Oh, that's so cool. And uh, if you haven't seen or his music or heard his music, he writes the words and the music, and it is great. It's, he loves nature, mm-hmm. so he has things about fireflies and crickets and... He has this one song called The Moon, and like all his other works, he writes the words, and the accompaniment is well-written, and the, the accompaniment paints the text really, really well. So it's always a reflection of the words, and the words are very accessible. Oh, my favorite of his is Clouds. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that one. It's great. Every, just trust me, just look it up and, and get maybe a single copy Mm-hmm. and look through that um it's 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 wonderful he uses the imagery in his words it's just special and i and i love seeing the children sing that song that's awesome all right those are great ones which i'll link to like i said in the show notes and then any favorite rounds from my personal experience i think that sometimes choir directors kind of overlook rounds you know as especially with elementary choir i just love throwing a couple in there do you do the same i do and i agree with you you know rounds are a wonderful way to to present to the students simple concepts Mm -hmm. um which we could talk about that in a second but i do have a set that i do like with the third graders um i love to do are you sleeping Uh i i just like it it's simple Mm -hmm. it's um so it, I like to use that song to later approach open tones and pure vowels and space in the mouth. You could do many different languages with that, which I have seen in the past. I found success um, using Are You Sleeping and teaching like Spanish and French and even German. Right. And that op- opens their minds later mm-hmm. right. to singing octavos with different languages. Yeah. I like, there's a laugh, ha-ha. Yeah, that's a fun one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, um, and I like, of course, the good old Ghost of, actually, this one, I learned Ghost of John, but a, a book I have calls it Ghost of Tom, uh-huh. so I can never decide which one to do. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard both versions, so, yeah. <laughs> but what I love is, oh, <clears throat> there's a warm-up, which, you know, I, I like to do, that creates space in the mouth, and it's using ooh. Um, and we do like a physical thing with our hand to open up that space. And with the ghost of Tom, when you have that high ooing, I can link that to the warm up, and that's when they really get into opening their space and getting that resonant sound. Let's see, I said laugh, ha, ghost of Tom. Ooh, gotta go with Donna Nobis Pachem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know uh, Palestrina, so that yep. one. That one for the older ones, if they can get that, that's beautiful. Yeah. And so you yeah. talked a little bit about warm-up, so that's a great segue to the next question. What is your oh, favorite good. warm-up? Well, that's a good question. And a, for me, kind of a complicated answer. Warm-ups for me, like early on in my career, again, was something that I had to learn. I found myself just doing the typical warm-ups and the same warm-ups right. all the time. Uh-huh. But... What I try to do is, my warm-up section, I look at the function of the warm-up. Why am I doing these warm-ups? 
so like well, the way I structure my, my choral rehearsal is we do warm-ups, then we do rounds, then we do the concert rep, uh, concert prep. Mm-hmm. When I was working with the Columbus Children's Choir, I had an hour and a half. So we did warm-up, round, like literacy work. Yeah. Um, and then concert prep. And the warm-ups were very... I think of warm-ups as like different categories, different skill sets. Mm-hmm. So what some warm-ups are for range. I do other warm-ups that work on like experimenting with their vocal placement, mm-hmm. chest voice, head voice. I do a warm-up where they feel the vibration in their neck and they, they scoop from low to high to low and they can feel the vibration going away and coming back and, and they can feel how the voice feels in different spots of their, of their voice. Um, I do some warmups that work on vowel shape and mm-hmm. vowel modifications. They go higher and lower in their range. I have other warmups that, uh, they do work on diction and articulation, ear training, but I have a couple warmups that are my favorite. Um, it, because I think I'm going to try to be very specific here. I'm, I, I, you know, me, I'm a big picture thinker. So sometimes right. I talk about concept and not, um, but I'm going to get specific. I do one one warm up. I love to do is it's a descending five tone scale, so fa mi re do, mm-hmm. and because I like to start the top and descend that way they go down gently, and they do that on ooh, mm-hmm. and we start and we just move down chromatically. Well, the purpose of that not only is to sing up in the tessitura, but it's also Later, we experiment with different shapes of our mouth, and they discover when my mouth is open more inside, I have a bigger sound, a thicker sound. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a, it's a warm-up that really, if you are thinking, gosh, I love this choir, how do I get, I hear all these, like the Toronto Children's Choir, or in England, how do they get these sounds? Uh-huh. It's about the space in the mouth. And so what I do with this warm-up is, after they sing, like, the descending scale, I'll sing it for them. And usually, the initial sound that they're doing is, like, with the beginning choir, it's thin and a little flat. Right. My goal, my goal is to get them to lift the soft palate, to form space, and get a nice, resonating, thick uh, tone. So I actually model it for them. And what I do is, and I find success in using, like, hand gestures, uh-huh. and then matching those hand gestures with the inside of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And so I'll sing it for them, and I'll have my hand almost like a, a minus sign, right? Mm-hmm. And so the inside of my mouth, I'm not lifting my soft palate, and I sing the the tones. And I then have them, I, then I move my hand vertical, uh-huh. and I exaggerate this a little bit, but I then I open up my mouth. Uh-huh. I raise my eyebrows, and I show them that my face and my shape is changing. And I ask them, what did you notice? Oh, and I sing it again. Uh-huh. Now, when I do that, the tone is much louder. Mm-hmm. And I say, discuss, and I have them discuss, and I say, discuss what you, what you saw or heard, just what did you notice? <laughs> and they always tell me, well, the second one, you sang a lot louder. Mm-hmm. But the concept is, I didn't really sing louder, I just opened up my space more. Right. And that's a big concept for them. So I say, you know, I didn't, I didn't increase my volume at all. It's about the space in your mouth. We want to create that space. So 
that we talk about that and then it gets them then we can talk about pure vowels open vowels and another warm-up i really love to do i called it follow the leader and it's not necessarily working on range or anything but it, it really gets them into linking and mastering going up and down the scale so they'll sing over time i'll teach them the do re mi fa sol la ti do mm-hmm. even if we haven't totally prepped it in general music right. they're singing the scale as a warm-up then we add the hand signs to it so they'll know all the hand signs of all the notes so after and i'll just do up and down do do to do to do mm-hmm. up and down and i'll just do that as a warm-up for several weeks once they can sing it up and down and they all of them have the hand signs memorized then i say today we're going to play a game called follow the leader and they're like ooh of course with 200 singers i'm like we're not really following the leader right. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't get off the risers but what we do is i say sing with me sign with me move with me and what i'll do is i'll start at low do and i'll move up but then i'll pause on a note uh huh and they have to pause with me and then like level 2 is i'll pause but then i'll go down mm-hmm. so like i might go do re mi back down to re mm-hmm. then back up to me right and then i increase it and so what they're doing is instead of just instead of just singing the scale up and down and not thinking about it that engages their mind and they have to now think about the tones that they're singing and it connects their eyes with the conductor their mind are on the notes and they have to sing the notes and edit and and know what they're doing um and what you could do then when they could get that down then you have both hands so this side follow this hand this side follows that hand mhm and like one group could be just singing do and just holding it and the other group can move right. up and down yeah great for part work skills absolutely you could do parallel motion you could do suspension yeah and you know i've actually used that elene to teach a song Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, so like we'll do that. And then I'll and then I, what I'll do is I'll actually before before choir I'll have the melody on the board of uh, say a new song because that's a that's a hard thing for me is, is how do you start a new song? How do you mm-hmm. how do you introduce a new song? So if they've prepped to follow the leader, we'll do the game. Then I'll say, "Hey, you just sang this." And I'll point to the melody on the board. And I'll say, "Now sing it again." Now they're looking at the notes, singing that pattern we just did. Then I'll do, "Hey, there's a scavenger hunt. Find that, find those eight measures in your music with mm-hmm. your neighbors. Go." And, and and now it's noisy, but I'm cool with that because they're they're discussing, they're looking, they're finding. Right? Yeah, yeah. Th- those are all really great ideas. I have to say that that minus plus idea, going back to that that you mentioned. Sure. Um, I learned that from you. and i use it all the time with my choir because i think with me being an instrumentalist and um i talked in the introduction about how i'd only been in choir in college before my kodai levels and that was one yeah. semester of choir in college it wasn't very much um so i came into the choral world really kind of feeling like i didn't know what i was doing and you have been such a great resource i just love that i can ask you any question and i never feel like i'm being judged <laughs> 
But that's uh, one. I think we were talking about like how to get that good choral sound. And you had mentioned yes. this minus and plus idea. And whenever I'm hearing, I will do it in warm ups, but also whenever I'm hearing kind of like a nasally or just like not a very round sound from my choir, we'll do the minus plus where we put our hands like a minus and we sing like this, you know, and then we yes. sing tall with our hands vertical and it immediately changes their sound and they can hear it. You know, just having that visual of what their mouth, like the physical, the inside of their mouth is doing is so helpful for them. Well, you know, I, uh, very kind of you. I, the same goes with you. I enjoy um, sharing ideas back and forth. We, we do that and it's helped me a ton too. Yeah. Uh, but on the same lines of the minus plus, what I'll do is, uh, I've started to do this recently. After they find success, I, I find that, do you find this in your class? When they, when you have them discuss with each other, it like synthesizes that information even deeper. So yeah. I'll say, tell me what you heard. And they'll say, well, it, we, it sounded louder or it sounded fuller. But then I recently said, what did you change inside your mouth oh, to get that sound? That's a great idea. And you would be surprised at the answers. Um, I had one one girl last year. She said, "Well, I, she goes, I was feeling around, and there's a part of my mouth on the roof. One part's hard, the other part's kind of soft. I notice that my tongue goes down, and it just opens up in the back. And then other no. students are like, it's like this this energetic, massive ping pong match of conversations. I call it. You yeah. know, like ping pong balls just flying everywhere. Yeah, and they're just." going off each other's ideas and, and discovering like they're discussing all the muscles and tissue changes to get that yeah. process and then that's why i like some of the latin rounds because after you do that or after they are aware of that you go to latin those vowels there's just five sounds right yeah and and don and albis pachem it's all pure it's all open uh-huh. and you can apply that concept to the rounds and take that to your octavos that's great it's it's i really love the idea of having them really think about what's going on inside their mouth and describing that because then when you ask them to create the sound again, they know exactly what they've done, you know? I do. And, you know, I think I might have gotten that idea from my conversations with you. I know you and I have discussed about uh, we've really analyzed different ways of questioning and uh, having students discuss uh, gets them to be able to share more kids get to share more ideas because they're discussing with each other. Right. And it's, I've noticed, I try this, that in, in general music as well. And I just see a lot of higher participation, a lot of positive energetic discussion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one thing I love about having teammates in the district is that, you know, we get to discuss these great ideas because, you know, everybody has their own great ideas. And when we share with each other, that just makes us all better. Yeah, for sure. All right. So what do you think is a common mistake that children's choir directors make and how could that mistake be fixed? You know, that's a really good question. That's hard. Cause I know I make, I make hundreds of mistakes all the time, but it, I think a common mistake is not knowing what children can really do. Mm-hmm. Not having a vision for the choir or, or an under, or, a vision of a sound. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, I, I wanted to say valve shape and vocal placement, but really I'm hoping that people go to 
great children's choirs like the Toronto Children's Chorus or, um, you know, well, what used to be the American Boys Choir and hear these sounds. And when you pick up an octavo or a song, imagine your students singing it. Mm-hmm. And what, what's the highest level quality sound that you want? So knowing what sound you want and how to get it. Yeah. And I think the mistake, and this is a mistake I made, the biggest mistake I made in the past was I did not spend time on working on proper vowel shape inside the mouth, that, that plus minus thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm sure all of us feel time crunch to get performances ready. And we don't, we go, we have to focus on finishing the song. And we don't sometimes take time to just teach how to sing properly. Right. Whatever that is, whatever vision you have, whatever style you use, whatever song, whatever language, it's taking the time to let the students discover what proper trained singing is. I'd yeah. say that, you know, and so how do you do that? Well, song choice, taking time in your warm ups to talk about vowel shapes and discovery, like we talked about the plus and minus thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I've tried to change the past few years. And make sure that I slow down to do that. And, you know, I've noticed a big difference in the students' sound and, and how much, you know, they walk out the door feeling successful. Yeah, that's great. All right, so you had talked about a little bit about unison versus two-part singing. Did you want to kind of dive into that a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, oh, that could be another common mistake. I, I see a lot of... Uh, I like to focus on unison mm-hmm. when in the past... If I've gone to two-part too soon, I find myself, and I wonder how many others have done this too, it takes longer to teach the song because mm-hmm. they may or may not be truly prepared to sing two-part harmony. Right. And we end up note crunching until the concert. Right. So you might have two-part harmony, but what unison offers is mastery. Like they can, if it's unison, it's accessible. And I don't, I guess I don't want to be learning notes right up until the end. I want to finish all the notes and words, like even four weeks before the concert. And then what you can do is you can focus on vowel, phrasing, articulation. Right. Um, I look at it like sculpting, you know, anybody can play with a block of clay, but not anybody is going to choose to shape it into a work of art. Right. And so... I'm going to start with a small block and a simple block so I can make it awesome. Yeah. And that's kind of my philosophy. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think too often um, choir directors feel like, you know, they have to pick the more difficult music or, you know, that we shouldn't be doing unison. We should be doing two-part. But I often will have on my programs, like, like I said, a couple rounds maybe one or two unison, and then maybe a couple, two or three parts that are, you know, accessible. Because I think a lot of the people listening are probably in the same boat where you're not seeing your choir very often. It might just be once a week for 30 minutes. So why not focus on beautiful sound with an easier or simpler song? And honestly, unison is not always, quote-unquote, easier, you know? Absolutely. That, the dance of the music sings to you. And that is certainly not an easy song to sing, but it's unison. Um, you know, I love the variety 
that you do with your concerts. You are so creative with your musicals and concerts. Um, you know, you. it's just so impressive. Um, and I just, you know, I just love how purposeful you are about the variety. And I think you're right. You know, the limited time is difficult. Right. And I mean, if I saw them every day for an hour, I could probably get there and I could probably push them there now. But I do love, I guess if I were to do two-part harmony too soon, I would have to give up something. Right. If I choose that, I have to unchoose something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah, mean, for and sure. Things I would unchoose would be parts of the rehearsal that make it exciting and vigorous. Like I right. do scavenger hunts in my music. Oh, oh, yeah. Like look for whatever. Yeah. Look for this motive or, yeah, that's really yeah. fun. Yeah. And I, I would have to not do some of that stuff. Yeah, I do the scavenger hunts. It's kind of cool. Like, you know, you know <laughs> the beginning choir, they come in, they're excited, they get their octavo. They have no idea it's upside down. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, you know, you know, if we want to talk about literacy and music, you know, it, we're all like, oh, they all must learn to read music and sing all the notes. And, you know, um, I never teach by rote and all that stuff. You know, the fact, fact is, at some point, we all started somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. And what I love about the third graders is they come in and they're like, oh, my gosh the middle of the music just fell out. Right. Like broke it. <laughs> right. You know? Or I'm like, oh, Sally, your words are upside down. Let's try it this way. Yeah. And she's like, well, that makes much more sense. <laughs> so sometimes teaching music literacy is just, hey, that's upside down. Right. <laughs> that would be but, a, a great um, idea for maybe to have you back on the podcast to talk specifically about musical literacy whether that be like in the choral rehearsal or in general music. Yeah, but that's, I mean, yeah, that's a great point. You do have to start somewhere with kids reading octavos. It's kind of hard at first. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've had fun on this today. I would absolutely love to talk about that. I, you know, I, it's, yeah, I, I'll, literacy is a different subject and that's a lot to talk about. But, but that, I, I'm very passionate about it and I would love to. Yeah. There's lots of ways you can approach it in a fun way. Um, you know, because they are eight and nine, you know, right? And they're 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 just little kiddos that want to come to choir and right. they're busy yeah. bees. Yeah. So how do you get their attention and yes. get them to want to learn it? You know, that's kind of a hard thing to do. Yeah. All right. So, what are your favorite resources, whether they be like printed resources or other resources for teaching choir? Gosh, you know, I really like um, Patty Bourne has a book called Inside the Elementary School Chorus. And I used that when I started all of this. And in it, she has pictures. Uh, she has, like, a list of, of songs that, that is appropriate, that she finds appropriate, like, accessible, I guess is a better word. Mm -hmm. um, she has a sample contract, which is non-threatening at all, but it's, it's very well thought out for the young singer. Uh, the book is very well laid out. So if anybody's thinking about starting choir or just, like me, needs to get a little more, you know, just maybe Patty is a very organized person and I'm not necessarily organized. So that book helped me just think about everything I need to think about. There's checklists in it. Um, of course, <clears throat> a big thing for me is just listening to top performing choirs. And, you know, my choirs are not auditioned. So obviously, you know, it's a difference in quality, but, you know, listening to like locally here, the Columbus Children's Choir, right. other, you know, like the, the Toronto Children's Choir, or I used to the, the recordings of the American American Boys Choir. 
listening and watching their performances helped me a lot because you can get repertoire um, repertoire suggestions and you can hear what students can sound like on these songs. So mm -hmm. it kind of gives you a starting point as to like what vowel shape should I do? How how can I work with them on this? Mm -hmm. um, so those are the main resources that I use. I would love to throw another one in there that's been really helpful for me. Um, educating Young Singers. Have you, do you have that book, Matt? I don't. It's great. It's by Mary Getze, Angela Broker, and Ruth Boshkoff, who are all amazing uh, choral pedagogues. Um, and this book saved my life because I, it, like I've said before, I just didn't feel totally comfortable in the choral world. So it's really great for anybody, regardless of your choral experience. But just for me, having much more of an instrumental background, um, it's a really comprehensive resource that talks about a lot of the things we talked about today, like how to choose your music, what are some great warm-ups. Um, and then it also has a DVD with demonstrations um, with conducting and warm-ups um, with the Indiana University Children's Choir. So I highly recommend that book. You can get it on West Music. And again, I can link to that in the show notes too. Well, that's, that sounds exciting. I'll have to check that out. I love how, uh, like you said, it, it has like uh, uh, videos that you can watch yeah. and learn. Because as I talked about warm-ups here, I find myself showing you <laughs> although the audience is listening like the plus and minus and right yeah it would be great to be able to be able to, to see, see what they're doing right yeah for sure all right so let's talk about what we're consuming oh music related no it can be anything you can oh, be great. listening reading whatever do you want to go first you want me to uh you can go first okay so um because it's you know the last day of winter break right now um <laughs> yes. i have been doing a lot of consuming um but i just recently listened to a podcast i listened to a lot of different podcasts but i so my husband and i have loved conan o'brien for years like we have been pretty loyal uh, watchers of Conan O'Brien. Um, but over, I don't know, the last couple months, he's kind of changed um, the format of his show. So instead of doing like an every, I think he's still on every night, but instead, instead of it being like a nightly talk show, he's been visiting other countries. So like, I forget what he calls it, but like he's going to Korea and he's been to I've Japan. I've seen that. Like, it, it, wasn't there a Conan town Yes, there was. Yes. In yes. Japan, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, so, and it's just hilarious to watch him go to all those different cities. So I've been enjoying that. But also, he came out with a podcast. And since I love listening to podcasts, I was like, oh, I should check that out. So I started listening. I, I have actually not finished it yet, but it's hilarious so far. To um, I believe his podcast is called Conan Needs a Friend. He has a great podcast voice. He's just, I don't know, I just really enjoy listening to his to him speaking with this podcast and he's hilarious because he's Conan O'Brien but I started listening to the episode with him and Will Ferrell and it's outstanding if you love Will Ferrell you need to oh, listen to this episode he's um, hilarious and it's actually it reminds me a lot of Dax Shepard has a podcast called Armchair Expert which is really good and it does remind me a lot of that because he brings on celebrities and just kind of 
shoots the breeze with them. Uh Um, But, you know, sometimes you just need that. You just need to listen to fun conversations, (laughs) you know, just laugh, you know. Especially in the wintertime when it's, you know, the day is so short. Yes. Uh, Especially as music teachers, how stressed out we are with concerts all the time. Yes. You know, listening to Conan and Will Ferrell. I mean, how can you you not be in a good listening to those two? Right, right. So what have you been consuming? I have been obsessing over the series Nailed It. So... I have loved like a couple years ago when you know in, in Pinterest people try the, the the Pinterest ideas and it right. turns out awful uh-huh. and they take a picture and they post it and it's hilarious. Uh-huh. So I used to obsess over that. But there's a nailed it series and it's the nailed it is totally sarcastic because they do not nail it at all. <laughs> right. And, and they have they bring in these it's a it's a baking contest and the winner wins I don't remember I think it's like what ten thousand dollars or something like that. Uh-huh. But they have three judges that are like the top baking uh, judges and, and just experts in the world. But then they pick three people who just, and they say about themselves, I cannot bake at all. Right, yeah. It, so, and it's on Netflix, I think. Uh-huh. So they come in and they're presented with uh, an idea that they have to recreate. And uh-huh. of course, it's always like immaculate. It's like a cake from the top cake maker in the world. Right. They have an hour to make it. Uh-huh. And at the end, it's just drama the entire time. And the host, she is hilarious. And at the end, when they they, they have to present all three and see who got the closest. So to win, you have to be the the one that it looks the best. Right. But it also tastes good. Uh And what's super funny is they reveal it. uh, It's covered up and they, they, they have to uncover it and say, Nailed it. Yeah. And then it's this hideous <laughs> picture. <laughs> yeah, you, you that would totally be me. I'm not a baker or much of a chef at all. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, but then the, you know what the thing is, though? The, the, the show is positive. Like, the judges could tear it apart, but they're still like, I see what you tried here. I see what you tried right. here. You know what? Your texture is actually pretty good. So they they actually are, the, the judging is actually positive. It's funny. There's a holiday series that I just watched. Uh-huh. Um, it, so it, it's really just put me in a good mood. My family, I have a wife and a son, and, you know, we, we binge watch that for sure. That's awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about with choir? You know, it's funny. I first thing I would say would be literacy. So, uh, you know, so but, come back on my podcast. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, I will just share this. You know, as a as a teacher, you know, I, I I'll, I'll be honest with your audience. I have Tourette's syndrome, and it, I never talked about it for for a long time. And it's been it's 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 been. Uh, kind of difficult at times, um, like standing in front of the kids. I know I'm ticking with my face or talking to the audience. And so just, I find it that it's, it's helped me be more understanding and tolerant of different students with different abilities in my Mm -hmm. choir Mm -hmm. and be able to accept them for who they are because, you know, I, I, I've performed, you know, with symphonies on stage and written songs. And, you know, I've appreciated the directors I've worked with and their generosity and graciousness of accepting me and, and mm-hmm. letting me be part of their music. And, you know, it's funny because when I sing, I don't tick. 
uh-huh. it goes away. And that's what music offers to me. Uh, so that's maybe also what drives my, my eagerness to bring music to children. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Matt. Music is such a wonderful thing that it can, you know, it can help connect us. Um, Absolutely. But it can also, you know, help us individually. Well, you know, I just thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I'm, I'm honored that you asked me to do this. Well, I'm honored that you're on. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. Matt is just such a great resource, and I was so thankful to have him on the podcast. If you haven't had a chance to yet, make sure that you visit my podcast in the iTunes store so that you can leave a review and subscribe to the podcast while you're there so you know of any new podcasts that hit the airwaves. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. (music) 